Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Andy Staples on 3. We are hurtling toward another game week. There's actually games tonight, and uh, there's some very interesting games on Friday including Utah at Oregon State. There's a lot going on this weekend. It's it's interesting because not the marquee matchups of last weekend, but a lot of really intriguing ones, including one we'll talk about quite a bit today, Texas and Kansas. Lance Leipold, Kansas coach, joins us later in the show to talk about just how they've turned that program around in a relatively short time. And it's amazing when you think about it that – they were hired basically the day before the spring game in 2021. Les Miles gets fired. It was a very tumultuous time. And you thought, oh, how is this ever going to work? But Lance Leipold has built that thing pretty quickly, used the transfer portal, also just done a good job coaching. You know, kind of what you'd expect from a guy who won six Division Three national titles at Wisconsin Whitewater. So, it is going to be a fun one. We got folks throwing up hook'em horns in the chat already. It is going to be a good, good week. Uh, got people taking your suggestions. You guys remember, I did the live reaction show from Orlando, from the Florida State LSU game, and probably spent, I would say, a solid five minutes of that show, me plus you guys in the comments, where we just commiserated over how sad we were that Harold Perkins was being used in the way he was used in the Florida state game. Well, now it's making Lane Kiffin sad that LSU has changed Harold Perkins back into the ball seeking monster that he was last year. Uh, Let's throw some stats at you in the Mississippi state game. Harold Perkins had four tackles, which doesn't sound like much, but one of those was a sack, two total tackles for loss and a pass breakup against Arkansas, six tackles, one sack, another half tackle for loss to, to in addition to that, and two forced fumbles. He is, yes, impacting games again. And Lane Kiffin was asked about that because Ole Miss is hosting LSU. And Lane, yeah, he, he's not happy with the change. I mean, I don't know if they've talked about it, but it looks like they tried to play him like a normal backer in week one and play him like a boundary wheel backer. And it looks like they scratched that after the Florida State game and went back to last year's plan and him out there and make a few calls with him let him play so um i wish they'd put him back in there (laughs) maybe you can talk to him that's a very different tone from lane from his uh his trolling of alabama last week uh they were a little humbled by alabama last week but i think that game between lsu and ole miss can be a little more interesting than the second half of that alabama ole miss game i I'm guessing that LSU's secondary does not present the same challenge to Ole Miss's passing game that Alabama's secondary did. I do think LSU will still be able to throw the ball quite well, though. But Harold Perkins could make the biggest difference in that game if he is the one hammering Jackson Dart over and over again or potentially 
breaking up a pass, causing an interception, forcing a fumble, all of the things that Harold Perkins does that can help you win games. He's doing it. And yeah, Lane, I don't blame you. I would want them to move him back too, but they're not going to. Let's go to Austin. Steve Sarkeesian got asked about, as you would expect, the last time Kansas went to Austin. Remember that crazy game, walk-on fullback, catches a, a pass in double overtime. Kansas pulls the upset. It was a, you know the, the low point of Sark's first year at Texas and the high point of Lance Leipold's first year at Kansas. But it's interesting this week because both coaches really don't want to talk much about that game because they're so different as teams now. This is it, Texas feels like a legitimate college football playoff contender. And Kansas, that was just a plucky underdog story at that time. Kansas is flat out good right now. They're 4-0. They've started out 4-0 in consecutive seasons for the first time since 1915. 1914 to 1915, the last time they did, they did this. And it's not gimmicky. Like They're just playing really well. Jalen Daniels one of the best quarterbacks in the country. I, I You heard Ralph Russo from the Associated Press on the show last night saying he thinks Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback in the Big 12. And I think you'd find a lot of coaches who have to prepare for Jalen Daniels who would tell you that, who would believe that. So, But it was interesting because Sark got asked earlier this week about what does he say to his players about two years ago? Does he use that as motivation for them? I really liked his answer. I think after the game Saturday, you talked about how there were players who lost at Baylor in 2021 and they could celebrate the win in 2023. Do you use a similar message this week considering what happened last time you played Kansas here? Do you try to stay positive with this team on a, um, on a different I, I think play? this much. You know, I kind of referenced it to the team this morning. You know, we've, we've come a long way as a program um, and in a lot of phases, you know, schematically, you know, um, the roster, the culture, um, the environment at DKR. Um, we don't have to go backwards. You know, we're going to keep forging forward, and you know, we, we've got a, we've got a lot of goals that that we're trying to obtain this year, and we're trying to reach. Um, we recognize Kansas is a good football team, um, but to try to make our guys feel bad for losing a game two years ago that it, that it sucked for everybody. Uh, I don't. I don't know what benefit that is. We got to focus on the task at hand, and that's playing this Kansas team, because this Kansas team is a lot different than that Kansas team two years ago as well. He's exactly right. Neither Kansas nor Texas in any way resembles the teams that played at DKR two years ago. There are yes, some of the same players on the roster, but it's just not the same situation. Both of those teams have matured. They're considerably better now. I just, I really like the way Texas handled this business against Baylor last week. You heard me all offseason. All offseason, I said, this is the most talented Texas has been in a long time. This is the first time in a long time they've had legit NFL dudes on both lines of scrimmage, that they've had really interesting skill talent that will be drafted very high. Well, Kansas is really good too. That's one of those you flip on the tape and you go, Oh, they can beat us if we're not careful. And this is not a, the coaches have to tell the players this. The players at Texas can see this when they flip on the Kansas tape. And Sark got asked about Jalen Daniels too. And I thought that this was another good answer because this is what opposing coaches see when they are watching that Kansas offense now. I think it's multiple. You know, the, the thing that, that he does is he's, he's a real dual threat. <laughs> 
you know, I, I think the natural thing is we think about the runs that he has for explosive plays, but he throws the ball all over the place. And they've, they've got great schemes and concepts. Um, it, it's, it's not, you know, by any means is it, is it gimmicky. You know, they, they're running real pass concepts that stress your coverages. And then they have the run concepts with, with his legs as, as an added element to it, you know, the plus one runs with the quarterback run. So um, he taxes you both ways. So it's not like you can just have a guy be a scout team quarterback that, that's a runner. You have to have the ability to throw it to give the defense a, a realistic look about what they're going to be going up against. It is going to be a challenge for that Texas defense, but this obviously would be the best defensive line that Kansas has seen. But it's interesting because they did play Illinois. You, you heard the law firm on this show from Big Ten Media Days, uh, Johnny Newton and Keith Randolph, really good D-tackles. Probably not at the level of what they'll see with Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy and Alfred Collins, but a good challenge, and I thought Kansas handled that very well. But this is going to be a fun game. I, I don't know. You heard me and Ralph talking about it last night. I think Texas is going to win this game. But I'm not sure it's going to be a blowout. Uh, last year, Texas ran all over Kansas with B. John Robinson. This year, I think Quinn Ewers, JT Sanders, Xavier Worthy, probably going to have to do a little more in the pass game to, to make the score look the same if they want to do that. And there'll probably be a little more stress, as Steve Sarkeesian pointed out, when they're on defense. So this is one of the games I'm very excited about this weekend. And there's a bunch of them. The, the LSU Ole Miss game we mentioned, Duke-Notre Dame, that's going to be a lot of fun. Florida, Kentucky should be a lot of fun. That feels like a toss-up. We don't really know what's going to happen. Uh, Colorado, USC, we'll talk a lot about that game with Eric McKinney of WeRSC.com. George is going to Auburn. We talked to Justin Hokinson from Auburn Live about that later in the show today. There's a lot to digest, so much to process, and we are going to get into it with Lance Leipold from Kansas. But first... I want to tell you about prize picks. It's Thursday night, so it's time to go to that prize picks app. If you haven't downloaded already, download the prize picks app. Use the referral code Andy. It will get an instant first deposit match up to a hundred dollars. You you deposit a hundred, they'll match a hundred. You deposit fifty, they'll match you fifty. That's how it works. Use the referral code Andy, and then you get to play. And and there's already a bunch of options out there. You open the the QB passing yards. And you see the squares immediately. Caleb Williams and Shadur Sanders. What's this going to look like? You know, is Caleb Williams going to go off in his... This will be the first game that the casual fan is watching a lot of Caleb Williams. I, you know, that you've had to find him on the Pac-12 network. Or you've had to watch him very late at night. That's not the case now. This will be noon Eastern kickoff against Colorado and Coach Prime. Will this game look like the Colorado-Oregon game? That's, that's your question because Shadur Sanders... The square for his passing yardage, 307.5. If the game looks like the Oregon game, you're going to want to pick less than there. But I'm not sure the game's going to look like the Oregon game. If you watched USC-Arizona State, well, they got gashed a few times. And the question is, can Shador Sanders deal with what should be a decent USC pass rush if he can escape, stay on the move, complete some passes, there's a chance that some of his, his guys can break him. So do you go more than on that, or do you say, no, the talent discrepancy is too great? It's it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And I, I'm just – now, the question is, if you watch the Oregon-Colorado game, maybe you go to the Marshawn Lloyd square. So 
They got 92 and a half rushing yards for Marshawn Lloyd. You would think if USC looked at what Oregon did and wants to just take control of this game right away, well, you'd think they're going to hand it to Marshawn Lloyd quite a bit. So uh, another game in that same window where the running backs are going to be very important to both teams' success is that Florida-Kentucky game. Trevor Etienne was Florida's best player against Tennessee. He's probably the biggest reason they won that game. Ray Davis for Kentucky has shown that he can, he has breakaway ability. He's made that offense a lot more explosive. Trevor Etienne, 66 and a half, more or less. Ray Davis, 79 and a half, more or less. You know, where, where do you fall on that? I, I tend to lean toward more for both of them. And then we'll see because I, really how Florida's defensive front plays in that game will have a big effect on the outcome of that game. You know, do they do they shut down the run game like they did against Tennessee and force Devin Leary to to make the throws? And oh yeah, you want a Devin Leary square? 229 and a half passing yards. I, that's an interesting and Graham Mertz from Florida, they got it 195 and a half. Both those offenses are going to be very deliberate. I don't think they're going to be chucking the ball all around the field. If you if you watch Florida play, Graham Mertz is not throwing deep. He's throwing short, and they're hoping that somebody can catch the ball and and make something happen with it. But so many different options, so many games. Uh, you can go down to that that Duke and uh, Duke and Notre Dame game. You know, how do you feel about the the rushing yards for Audric Estime? How do you feel about the passing yards for Riley Leonard? And then. Ole Miss LSU, we just talked about Harold Perkins. How might he affect the game? Jackson Dart for Ole Miss, his his rushing square, 40 and a half. So if he's got 40 and a half, that means he's not getting sacked very much, and that means he is moving the chains with his legs every once in a while. That, I think you go more than on that, if that hits, you might be looking at an Ole Miss win there. If you go less than on that, especially if that number veers toward the negative because Mr. Harold Perkins is in his face all the time and, and getting him down on the ground, then you're probably looking at an LSU win. Uh, mentioned Audric Estime. He was on the show earlier this week. 90 and a half rush yards, more or less. Now, there is not a square for Jeremiah Love. And I think that's the interesting one with Estime. I don't even know if it's necessarily the Duke defense it's how much do they split the carries between Audric Estime and the young backs, including Jeremiah Love, who came on pretty strong there at the end of the Ohio State game. So whole lot to play with. I will be on Friday afternoon making some of my picks. I did okay last week. It wasn't great. I got it three out of five when I did. I did a, a flex pick with five different quarterbacks. I got three to hit. You know, I always do more than because I like to root for people, not against people, although they're Price picks messing with me now. They have an interceptions category. So that's one where you would want to do a less than if you would like to root for the person and a more than if you would like to root against them. But so many different options available in a bunch of states. Referral code Andy. Go to Prize Picks, download that app. You're, you're going to have a lot of fun once you start going through those different squares because you're saying, ooh, now I want to watch this game. Now I want to watch this game. They will match your deposit up to $100 with your first deposit. Referral code is Andy. We'll see you Friday. I want to see what you're playing. You'll see what I'm playing. And then we'll have some fun watching it all happen on Saturday. But right now, 
one of the guys that will make stuff happen on Saturday, Kansas head coach Lance Leipold, the Jayhawks 4-0, headed to Austin, Texas to face the Longhorns. Here's Lance Leipold. Welcome Lance Leipold, Kansas Jayhawks head coach. The first coach since 1915 to lead the Jayhawks to a 4-0 start in two consecutive seasons. I know you've heard that stat once or twice this week, coach, but is that does that blow your mind that pre-World War One, the last time this happened? <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, I jokingly said if I, I obviously didn't do enough research, uh, um, you know, before I interviewed to, to really know a little bit what we were stepping into. But at the same time, all the more fulfilling um, under two and a half years that we've been here to really kind of get this, uh, get a foundation set. And we got a lot to do yet, but it's, it, it's, um, you know, we, we made a lot of progress and uh, looking forward for the challenges ahead. Well, and it is, it does seem like you've been able to do this fairly quickly. And and I was looking at, cause it, we had Tavondre sweat on a, a few weeks ago. He's one of the Texas defensive linemen. Yeah. I thought, Oh man, they're playing a really good defensive line against Texas this week. And I was thinking, you know, I just watched you guys play against Johnny Newton and Keith Randolph from Illinois yeah. and looked real good against two NFL D tackles. And I watched them play against Penn State the next week, and your guys did better against them. So I, how how did you do that with with the big guys especially? Because that's that seems like that's the hardest thing to to get going. Well, you know we have we we had a good returning unit of offensive linemen with experience. Uh, you know, starting really at center, Mike Davitsky's been with us now for five years. Uh, you know, two at Buffalo as a starter, mm -hmm. and now he's been a three year starter here taking advantage of the COVID year. So he's our leader up front. Uh, Dominic Pooney's now playing left tackle, played left guard last year. He's a D2 transfer from Central Missouri. And boy, he's been, you know, he's been as, as you know, maybe was our best lineman last year. You know, we we lost Earl Boswick's on the practice squad for the Cowboys, but everyone else is back and and some experience. And and we've challenged our, our group that these are, you know, the, going to be some physical defensive lines that we're going to play against physical brand of play and if we're going to be the team we want to be that uh it, it starts with them and they've answered that so far so you've got those guys have have been around Jalen Daniels has been in the offense for for a while now how much more can can you do because I've heard uh, your offensive coordinator Andy talk about you know it's it's a pro style offense with spread concepts meaning there's a lot of eye candy a lot of pre-snap moving around how much better are you at that and more efficient at that? Oh, uh, we're, uh, you know, I, I think we progress each and every week, but from where we were a year ago, um, I, I think almost night and day to an extent, because uh, again, as you know, you've been doing this a while as well, and you know the benefits of those bowl practices. Mm -hmm. and, and for this program to be in the drought like it was, to get those practices before the bowl game was so valuable and then the value is the retention that you get when you go back on the field in spring and mm -hmm. we started late february so we kept the retention and now with the the you know I, I say modified but really to me one of the best benefits of COVID is when they really kind of loosen some of the time you can spend with your players on the field in the summertime and continue to teach and you can reference calls and do things and i think our offense has been able to now uh, most of our receivers the running backs you know we have most of those guys are all back so we've been able to keep building upon that and like you say eye candy 
we can mess around with different things, uh, shifts, motions, all these different things. And uh, hopefully we find the ways to put some stress, continued stress on the defense. Yeah, Andy was talking about that a, a couple of weeks ago, and, and I, I found it interesting what he said. It feels like small wrinkles to your guys when you add them at practice, but it feels huge to the defense when they're trying to play against it. I would agree 100%. And that's kind of, we, you know, even way back when, the, you know, my last two years as head coach at Wisconsin Whitewaters when Andy joined us, and, and we were evolving in some ways. And, of course, go to Buffalo and we start – really square one, you know, installing it, go through the tough two and 10 the second year, and then you kind of build with some younger players again. Um, this one's been able, because of some of these things of, of player retention and, and that extra time, has allowed us to keep doing that. But when you, you know, whether it be at convention or the camp circuit, so to speak, or on the road recruiting, you run into some of your people that you're playing against, and they make reference to, you know how much they're upset at you because they got to spend all this extra time yeah. looking at it and and uh you know and we've taken a small page from the kansas city chiefs of about you know letting the players you know mess around and give suggestions and give some you know fun wrinkles that that kind of makes it fun at practice and you can do that when you got an experienced group and also that can execute so it, it's really been working out can your tight end just change the route like kelsey can well, not quite that yet. They would like to, though. But uh, I'll tell you, and Andy would be the one that could answer a lot better. But, yeah. you know, when, when we said this about, you know, giving suggestions and bringing plays in, um, you know, he also put the, the caveat on is that now, guys, it's got to fit into what we're doing and you got to explain it. And it was amazing. Some some players that you wouldn't necessarily think could would would know the ins and outs of some stuff that really had some thought out reasons and why and what it would complement. And and that's also gives them some ownership. Yeah. And I think that's also the next part of this, and especially with today's player, you give them a little bit more at stake in this, um, you, the buy-ins even better. Oh, I, I and I'm imagining like if you're an offensive lineman, you're you're finding a way to double team somebody, you're finding a way to 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 get a combo block. Yeah. What you, you, no reach blocks for me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm setting this thing up for me. But it, but it's interesting because it it does make them it incentivizes mm -hmm. them to understand the the scheme better. It does. But the funny thing is, you know, some of this was we used one against Illinois. That is, you know, then they're shifting themselves out to the top of the numbers or shifting back in, and you know, some fun things that that they see from time to time. So it also. Uh, kind of breaks it up like I said but you're right it it does give them a little more piece of it and and uh understanding about what we're doing all, all the time as well as coaches so I'm curious about how you handle this psychologically because you've been in so many different places in your in your coaching career in terms of what's expected of your team where you've been at Wisconsin Whitewater where you're expected not just to win every game but to win every game by a million points you've been you know, early at Buffalo, early at Kansas, where you're just rebuilding and, and you're trying to, to figure out what's going on. And now you're in a situation where you're supposed to be competitive in every game. D does the way you handle the players psychologically change because of that? Or is it the same approach? I, I try to keep, I hope I keep it the same. I, if anything, I've tried to loosen up. I, I could look back in my first part of my head coaching career and you're, you're all, and, and I still have it probably where you're always, worried about it, get whatever you've kind of grown to and established that it's going to get away from you. 
And, uh, you know, I always say that is that it's my job to keep pushing, you know, and, and demanding. And I said, guys, you just need to understand that of me. I, I said last week after the BYU game, I had to try to get myself in the right frame of mind that I didn't start talking too much about the challenge in Austin without letting these kids enjoy what a good win that was. And um, but I, I did tell them during, you know, maybe it was even you know, during our, our first year here is that we're going to coach you the same way and the same expectations and demanding you to do things right in, 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 a, in a timely manner on and off the field, whether we're two and 10 or 10 and two. And I said somewhere along the line that you're going to understand the there's not going to be a win or loss that influences our day to day process of how we go through things. And we'll appreciate it. We're not going to look in the rearview mirror when we're struggling, and we're not going to sit there to pat ourselves on the back when we're successful. So let's talk about this defense. You had two defensive scores against BYU. Mm -hmm. You're halfway to last year's interception total already. You gave up nine yards rushing. If you back out sacks, it's still only 33 yards rushing. I mean, how much better has this group gotten? Well, they've gotten significantly better. And, and it, you know, part of it, I could say for a lot of reasons, Andy, and it's, uh, I'll start with, you know, yes, we've added some new pieces. The back seven is more experienced. They're all returning. They understand things better. Um, but and when I break it down sometimes to keep it fair to everyone, so to speak, is we inherited a program that was a three-man front. We yeah. transitioned to a four-man front. As you probably well know through your time is that this program was vastly under scholarship from mm -hmm. about three coaches ago. Okay. Besides being under scholarship, we were 10 over scholarship at, at on offense versus defense. Wow. So now, yeah, we had the, the recruiting mod, the, the, if you really placed it and I, you know, I, I was hired the day before the spring game and the quick sidebar is I go watch the spring game and they line up in, uh, you know, um, 10 personnel, but yet on the scholarship, there's five tight end scholarship and two fullbacks. So, you know, so evolving everything back into a segmented by class, by position, by offense and defense has been a process that we've, we've been working through. And then we've had to move players and probably play some guys out of position, but now through the portal and other things, we think we're in a little bit balanced situation. We've been able to add a few guys we're playing a lot of guys up front that are keeping us fresh. And uh, like I said, the back seven has had a little more experience. And with an addition of a guy or two there, at least in the two deep, I think we've been able to, to you know, play at this level. Now, we know it's a huge challenge and it's really going to be a um, probably measured of improvement uh, down in Austin on Saturday. I heard you mention in another interview that, the last time you guys went to Austin two years ago, you had three of your your DBs that are starting now were starting then, and not one of them weighed over 165 pounds. Yeah, yeah, it was. And in fact, there were times where we I think we had four literally true freshmen on the field at oh. uh, at in the secondary at at certain times of the game, maybe in a nickel package. And it was, I mean, it was men against boys in a lot of different spots. And and some of these guys have grown. Um, you know, some of those guys played well. Two of those guys, O.J. Burroughs, who's playing a lot for us and starting, and uh, he had an interception. Kobe Bryant had a pick six in that, in that game two years ago. I mean, but at the same time, when we've been working through and um, 
nutrition and strength and everything that we wanted to try to do. That's that that's kind of where it was starting at that time when we were the youngest power five football team in the country in 21. In, in terms of body types, because you mentioned switching from a, a three man to a four man front mm -hmm. and that there's so much that goes into that in terms of just the type of players you're recruiting. Do you feel like you look on the line of scrimmage on both sides the way you'd like to look? Um, we're getting there. Yes. I, I think we've added some length that we didn't have before. Like we moved a, like a linebacker, Kyron Johnson, up being a sixth round pick for the Eagles. Oh, yeah. but I, I, I watched him put Trevor Penning on his butt at the Senior Bowl. <laughs> yeah. He, I mean, he was uh, super twitchy, but undersized for that position, you know, kind of that tweener type guy, but it is probably more of a linebacker, but, but he helped us the first year. Lonnie Phelps, transfer Miami Ohio we thought most of our portal guys too Andy we wanted them to be two plus year guys Lonnie declared for the draft you know we we're really hoping he'd return and we could keep adding to it but I think we're starting to get some more of that six three plus guy on the outside some more length some arm length there and then the thicker wider body um on the inside so um it's it's getting there um you know linebacker as well I I kind of say you know I, I jokingly said this our first year, we might've been two and 10 in the record. We were probably 0 and 12 in the eyeball test on the field in pregame. And that included, um, you know, University of South Dakota and FCS school. We just didn't have the look uh, uh, that, that we needed um, in length, speed, size, and everything. So what you do have though, is a quarterback that everybody, you know, takes notice of and is scared of to, to defend. How much has Jalen grown over these past couple of years? Oh, I think he's grown in so many different ways. I, you know, if there's um, between media exposure and NIL opportunity, that alone is probably a hidden thing that people don't understand that helps young men grow up not just what how many dollars they get because they have to go do things puts them in front of a they they have to act in, in in a professional manner whether they're doing as a spokesman or meeting people and that has really helped him but uh you know he he continues to grow and prosper as a leader and as a person through adversity he hasn't stayed the healthiest and he knows that but you know his personality hasn't changed He's got that that smile and charisma that can light up a room that like gets other people excited when he's around. He's encouraged Jason Bean when he wasn't playing. He's been a great teammate. And, uh, you know, through all the success, especially, I, I think, sometimes in a program like ours that haven't had much, but there's a lot of people adding to it. But you, as you know, certain guys are going to be that focal point. He has stayed humble along the way, and that that has been very refreshing. How do you help him in terms of preservation? Because he's such a dynamic runner, but I imagine there are times you tell him, hey, you, you might want to just throw this one or get down. We, we Well, we talk about those things. You know, be smart with the ball. There, there are some of the times, even with some sacks, he's still trying to create. create. Um, sometimes we, we got to live for another day. Um, you know, we went out to the University of Nevada to play and, you know, you know, come away with a close win. Didn't play probably as clean. We didn't play as well as we would have liked. Um, I'm not going to take any, because I think Coach Wilson, his staff, and their, their team played extremely hard, probably outplayed us. Um, 
but we didn't put a lot of quarterback run in that game plan. And, and it was one of those things that we were going to take away some hits, hopefully. Obviously, there were some sacks and stuff, but we wanted to min minimize that in that game um, to get ready for conference play. So we do try, um, but, you know, part of what we do is going to make everyone defend the whole field and defend all eligible players. And, and for us to try to, um, to be who we are, we're going to need something out of the quarterback in the run game. Well, I imagine he will uh, give you a little bit that this weekend, but uh, good luck in Austin, Coach, and appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. That is Lance Leipold, Kansas head coach, and just an incredible job that he and his staff have done. I realize he's going to get a lot of questions as this goes forward about, hey, are you interested in this job? Interested in this? He should get interest from everybody who has a job opening, but – He's doing great at Kansas, and we'll see how serious Kansas is about making sure they keep him because this has been just a remarkable turnaround when you look at this. Now, Lincoln Riley turned around USC really fast as well. Not as heavy of a lift, but now they go to face Colorado in Boulder. After that Oregon game, it's a little bit different vibe, but... I'm guessing it's still going to be star-studded, probably going to be a bunch of celebrities on the sideline. Now, USC may bring its own celebrities. Maybe they're bringing Will Ferrell. Maybe Snoop Dogg shows up. Maybe Dr. Dre shows up. They, they have their own celebrities at USC, and that's one of the things I asked Eric McKinney from WeRSC.com because this is a program that's used to being the center of attention. Now they go to a place where Colorado has been the center of attention in the whole country all year. But USC, probably the better team. I don't think I'm going out on a limb saying that. And Caleb Williams, the best player on the field. I have no problem saying that. I'm definitely not stretching that because he's the best player in the country. He's going to be the first pick in the draft next year. He is outstanding. And this will be the first time a lot of the casual fans see him because USC has either been on the Pac-12 network or has been playing very late, you know, primetime Pacific time games. So now you get to see Caleb Williams in a big time slot, big noon kickoff, noon on the East Coast, 10 a.m. Boulder time, 9 a.m. according to the USC players' body clocks. It's going to be something. We talked to Eric McKinney about the Trojans' trip to Boulder. Joined by Eric McKinney of WeRSC.com on Three's USC site. And Eric, it's not often that USC is upstaged in terms of celebrity or star power. Yet as they go to Boulder, they kind of are, even though USC probably has the biggest on-field star in the country in Caleb Williams. I, I mean, that's exactly right, right? Caleb Williams is, is the draw in college football. And so to pair him now with what Colorado is going to bring, e even Colorado coming off that game against Oregon, uh, there are going to be a ton of eyes on this game. I mean, you, we all know kind of what Colorado has done in terms of being the draw that it's been uh, this year. And this is USC's really their, their first chance all season to put Caleb Williams on a big national stage. They've either played on Pac-12 Network or late at night out on the West Coast. And so this is going to be a chance for a lot of people 
I think to get reminded, oh yeah, that's that's Caleb Williams. That's what he can do. Uh, he he has a chance to put on a show here. That's what we were talking about on yesterday's show. This is the casual viewer will be like, oh yeah, Caleb Williams is still awesome. How about that? But for those who have not, well, like I, you know, I was on the Pac-12 network for the San Jose State game. I'm, I'm I've been riding all year with the Trojans, but. For those who have not seen them yet, how much better is this version of Caleb Williams than, than even the last time everybody saw him in the Cotton Bowl? I mean, he he was so good last year. There was kind of a thought of like, really, how much better can he be? There are times this year where it it feels like he's playing against some high school players, and and their schedule has not been phenomenal this year. They they have not played a bunch of ranked teams. Uh, or anything like that but he is so in charge he's so confident the the throws that he makes when he buys time it's like he knows that he can get to an edge he can get to a throw he can he can make every throw what what really stands out to me is he's throwing the ball so much this year and really I can only come up with maybe one or two throws where it's like, oh, he probably wants that one back. He just he doesn't throw the ball in traffic. He doesn't ever have really a, a ton of turnover-worthy plays. He just feels in control all the time. And that's even at Arizona State. Things are kind of going sideways in Haywire, and it's their first real kind of road atmosphere where the offense is up against it. And he kind of is, you know, there's shots of him just kind of sitting on the bench and hanging out, and, and like, it, it comes off as sort of aloof and maybe separate, but but that's just kind of how he rolls. He's just so confident in what he can do. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you know Bryce Young was like that in terms of command when he was in Alabama, where you you watched him walk out of the field and you're like, oh, he he's got this. Caleb has that, but like a, a an even more self confident version, if that makes sense, with a better arm and better mobility. There's a reason, right, that people constantly are talking about. There's Patrick Mahomes and then there's Caleb Williams as like the best quarterbacks going right now. Uh, you you want to say, you know, he still has room to grow and he talks about needing to, to improve. Lincoln Riley all the time talks about, you know, yeah, you know, we think he's doing pretty well, but he can get better this and this and this. And that's always true, right? Everyone will say we can improve. We can get better. This is the stuff we need to, to work on. Uh, it's a treat to watch him play. And we try to remind USC fans all the time, hey, those numbers are counting down in terms of how many more times you get a chance to go see Caleb Williams play. It's it's fun to watch every time he goes out on the field. Speaking of people we get to see play, I, I feel like Zachariah Branch is that type of person, you know, four or five games into his college career. What what can he be like what is the ceiling there because it feels like he can be a, an incredible weapon on offense huge weapon in the return game and and just a a wow play waiting to happen at all times there's a reason people people have started comparing him to great players i mean it, when you talk about comparisons everybody has one right everyone's tried to throw one out and it's always like one of the two or three best players who have ever played at that <laughs> program, right? It's people throw out Tavon Austin, people throw out Percy Harvin, people throw out Rocket Ishmael at USC. It's kind of Reggie Bush, even though it's mm -hmm. wide receiver compared to a running back. But he's that. And, and he's a guy you can tell with freshmen, right? The way coaches and teammates talk about a freshman, because a lot of times the players 
like to talk about the freshman. Oh, we, we like him. We think he's good. But the coaches will kind of, hey, slow down a little bit. The, co- the way the coaches talked about Zachary Branch from day one of spring ball was like, this, this kid is good. This kid is different. The players yeah. talked about what he brings, that he is just a different kind of athleticism and speed and power and just has, has all of that. He is blank and gone t- type of player. And honestly, USC hasn't had a ton of those recently. Like they, they always have good athletes, but that guy who's just different in terms of speed, that hasn't been something that USC has really had a lot of lately. Yeah, I was, I was covering Florida as a beat writer when Percy got there. And I just remember the first practice, you see him touch the ball and you're like, I've never seen anything like that before. And I remember watching the, the San Jose State game and, and the first, I think, punt return, Branch touches the ball. It's like, whoa, this does look kind of different. Just gone, just pulling away from guys too as he gets down the field. I mean, that that's what it is. He's not getting run down. And that was a guy at that point playing in his very first game. I mean, he's still he still has like no experience under his belt. He's getting more and more, but uh no, he he jumps off the screen, jumps off the field really when, when you see him live. And it's so interesting talking about USC because it feels like the offense is is buttoned up. Everybody's confident in it. Nobody's particularly worried about it. And especially against this Colorado team, and though Travis Hunter, you feel good about it. But they're coming off a game where they gave up 28 to you to to Arizona State. There, you know, it looked like the defense had gotten a little better. And I, I certainly think they've gotten better from a personnel standpoint. But how much concern is there after Cam Scadaboo, you know, just goes crazy against them? And it's like, okay. That team that just got, just got shut out by Fresno State. So I think that Lincoln Riley does have a point when he talks about the Arizona State team that got shut out against Fresno State is not the Arizona State team that played USC, right? That team is going to get up for USC. They had a week knowing who their quarterback was going to be. It was like family weekend. The, the stands were packed, all of that. But – especially in that game, that last touchdown that Arizona State scored, that is a almost a carbon copy of what Utah hit USC with in the Pac-12 championship game. Just a, a, a short pass to the sideline, knocked the guy out of bounds. They missed that tackle. He runs farther, throws another guy off of him, scores a touchdown. Like those, those kind of flashback things are still happening a little bit too much the last year. You're right. The, the personnel across the board for USC right now is is good enough. And let's face it, coming into the season, that's all the defense needed to be. It needed to be good enough. It did not need to be a top 10 defense. They did not need to shut out Washington or go give up three points at Notre Dame. They needed to be good enough. And I think we've seen flashes where they can be. The position that has been the most interesting is the inside linebacker spot. And this was a spot USC plays, plays two guys at Mike and Will, and they're they're a little bit interchangeable uh, at this point, what they wanted to do there. They talked about in the spring and, and certainly in the fall, that being a, a really deep position. Well, injuries hit that group during fall camp, and they've had guys miss time. Mason Cobb missed two games. Eric Gentry missed a game. Uh, Shane Lee missed a lot of fall camp. So you've had five guys at those two spots kind of in and out and, and not super consistent in terms of time. The one guy who has been out there is Tackett Curtis. He's a true freshman, and you can tell just kind of 
learning. Like the upside is there. Everybody believes he's going to be really good. He's still really young. He's still really experienced. It's coming. And this Arizona State game was his best game. He was the Pac-12 freshman of the week for what he did there. So, but but that spot is so pivotal, right, to, to how they play. And guys being in and out, a little bit of rust from Mason Cobb, all of that kind of stuff. You want to see those two spots get locked down and start to be a lot more productive uh, than what you've seen so far. The defensive line is creating pressure. They're getting sacks. They're, they're, you know, a problem for quarterbacks. When does it all come together? And it's got to happen pretty quickly because the Colorado offense is coming, then Arizona, then you go to Notre Dame. I mean, it, it ramps up quickly and in a big way the rest of the season. Yeah. Bear Alexander seems to have made a huge difference up front. The, the Georgia transfer, um, I do wonder if, if they didn't have him, if they didn't have Anthony Lucas, how much tougher would this Colorado offense be to deal with? Because it feels like they're going to be able to get some pressure on Shadour Sanders, which should limit what they can do. Uh, I would imagine if it was last year's USC defense, Shador Sanders probably knitting a sweater back there and then picking them apart. So this is this does represent improvement. So yeah, the the one thing up front last year it was it was Tuli Tui Pelodu. And that was it. If he, I mean, he he was phenomenal, right? Led the country in sacks and and twenty two tackles for loss. He was everywhere. But if he didn't do it, nobody did it. And this year they've been better about getting pressure from a bunch of different places. Solomon Bird is probably a guy that not a lot of people know. He leads the team uh, in sacks right now and has been has been tremendous there. He's actually the guy that's keeping Anthony Lucas off the field a little bit in terms of, of jumping up and and being the starter at that spot. So there's more guys contributing. Jamil Muhammad is another transfer. You talk about Bear and, and Anthony Lucas, but Jamil Muhammad has been tremendous coming over from Georgia State. There's guys, there are more players making more plays up front for USC this year compared to last year. And that's got to keep up, right? That's got to keep up against the better offensive lines. Because this Colorado offensive line is just not, it's not going to be the test that USC truly needs to pass if it's going to be one of the two teams in the Pac-12 championship, if it's going to be one of the four teams in the playoff. So Lincoln Riley has been highly complimentary of Deion Sanders. Deion's been highly complimentary of Lincoln Riley. You think we, we get the love fest the entire time through this after after the way the, the Oregon game went down? I do. I do. I think USC has a better understanding. Like Oregon got Colorado at its height. They got Colorado as a home game. They knew that they could make a huge statement. USC knows that this is not going to be a huge statement because there's nothing they can do to kind of one up what Oregon did. What Oregon did in that first half is is what they want to do against Colorado. USC probably knows they're going to be judged against that, even though it's a completely different thing playing on the, the road, playing at home, playing an undefeated team, playing a team coming off that loss. So I think USC goes in business-like and does it. I will say this, Caleb Williams is, is pretty good about what he says and not putting bulletin board material out there. You can tell he is, if he is not the most competitive player in college football, he is one of a very small handful. You know that he knows the attention Colorado has gotten that early in the season, it was Shadur Sanders as, you know, the, the potential Heisman Trophy candidate uh, in the Pac-12. I My feel is that Caleb Williams, again, is not going to say anything and is going to be very complimentary of, of everything that goes on. 
my feel is he wants to go in there and show what this offense and, and what he uh, really can do when the conversation turns to, oh, hey, there's two really good quarterbacks in this game. I, I think there's there's a real feel that he wants to separate himself. Well, and he'll get a chance against a bunch of other really good quarterbacks the rest of the and yes. and that's the interesting thing for for me with USC. It, it's it's because the Pac-12 they hadn't been able to get a team in the playoff, but now we all agree that it's the deepest league in the country, and it feels like if you're USC, especially with Notre Dame still on the schedule, all you've got to do is take care of business, and you've probably even got a mulligan in there somewhere, if depending on how it goes, but. Is that is it easier to go game to game when it is you know you've got big challenges up ahead and if you overcome them you'll get where you want to go? I think so. I think it's also easier to maybe erase some of the thoughts of the struggles at Arizona State because at the end of the year nobody cares. Nobody cares about you. You just have to win those games. And if you go beat Oregon by one point and Notre Dame by one point and Washington by one point, like you have enough wins. It's it's the first time we've been able to say anything remotely close to this about a USC schedule. You have enough games late in the year where if you just win them, and like you said, there, there's probably a game in there you can lose. If you win enough of them to get into the Pac-12 championship game and you win that game, that's all you have to do. So So putting win after win... They didn't need to beat Notre Dame last week, right? At when when they're playing in Tempe, they didn't need to win those games. So you can still learn from that and grow and and kind of piece your season together. It's just about winning each game. Uh, and and Lincoln talked a little bit about that today. Not needing to send a message or change a narrative or anything. Like he knows, even after a loss, you still if you just keep winning, you're going to be okay at the end of the season. And and that's absolutely how it sets up for, for really anyone in, in the Pac-12 this year. Like there's nobody, there's nobody who misses enough teams, even UCLA, like they don't get, uh, they don't get Oregon and Washington, which feels great until you realize you have to play Washington state and Oregon state, which are two, two pretty good teams also. So there's just, there's just not a lot of good misses uh, in the Pac-12 this year. You're, you're going to play some good teams. Well, that's what I love with, with, you know, just being able to compare Caleb, Caleb Williams, because Saturday, we get to see him against Shador Sanders. We're going to get to see him against Bo Nix. We're going to get to see him uh, against Dante Moore. We're going to get to see him against, you know, hopefully Michael Penix Jr. Like that, that's going to be so much fun. And I think that's that's what makes that league fun this year. And and crazy that it's it's going away. Are you getting getting ready to figure out how to slot them into the Big Ten race? Or is that just something you put off until till next year? No, we're de- you know, you definitely take more notice of what's going on in the Big Ten. Not that not that we didn't, you know, follow it before this, but yeah, how does it how does it fit? What are those road trips like? What will they do? I think this is a really interesting weekend for USC playing at nine o'clock Pacific time, right? Ten o'clock there. That window is is clearly going to be key to the Big Ten. And if USC wants to be a part of it, are there are there 9 a.m. home games at the Coliseum? I mean, for, for the future, and it's it becomes something, you know, if, if Ohio State USC is out in Los Angeles, uh, again, not not that this has been discussed or, or anything like that publicly. It It's kind of a, a curiosity, though, about how they fit into this really early time slot moving forward. Well, and there definitely are going to be 
noon Eastern kicks in Ann Arbor and noon Eastern kicks in Columbus and State College and 11 Central kicks in Madison. So, yeah, the body clock, they better get used to the the early their time body clock. And it's, I mean, Colorado, this is their fifth game. They've played three games 10 a.m. local time. This will be their third. So, so Colorado is used to this. This is another, you know, USC struggled with its first road game uh, last week. They've talked a lot about, you know, yeah, we'll deal with the early time. It's not a huge thing. We can figure it out. We can figure it out. They they talked about, yeah, we can figure out the road atmosphere and and we know what's coming and all of that last week and struggled with it. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on. It's one thing, and I know there, these are all young guys and their their bodies can react differently than, than coaches or, or people who are there watching. Uh, but it's definitely something to keep in mind that Colorado has has some experience playing at this time and USC does not they're coming off back to back 7 30 p.m pacific time games and you're flipping all the way to, to the other side of the day to play this one bright and early can't wait eric mckinney thank you so much thank you with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky no, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Cannot wait for this USC-Colorado game. I hope it's more interesting than USC-Oregon. Don't know. Uh, Mr. Big Play Bray asked in the chat, are you hearing the thing on Dion and Cormani McLean? Dion seems tired of him, question mark. Uh, Cormani McLean is a five-star cornerback. He's a freshman this year. He was a, a big-time recruit in the class of 2023. He's from Lakeland, Florida. Uh, he had been committed to Miami. I think the Florida folks thought they were going to get him for a little while. He ended up signing with Colorado. He's not playing right now, uh, other than a little bit in garbage time against Oregon. And... Dion was asked about him this week and said basically, hey, you got to show up to meetings on time. You got to do the right things. You got to you got to practice the way your, your older and, and more experienced teammates practice. Dion's just saying stuff out loud that most coaches don't say in public. That that's what this is. You know, the assumption is all five-star recruits just come in and play, you know, are awesome right away. That's not true. Some of them do take time. Some of them are not ready right away. And Cormani McClain clearly wasn't ready right away. And most coaches would just sort of tap dance around that. Or uh, Dan Wolka from USA Today, I think he pointed out, this is the sort of thing that a coach would would call a reporter off the record and plant. So that, because you know they get all the questions, but they would sidestep them. They wouldn't answer them directly. Dion just answers it. So it's up to Cormani McLean if he wants to play, it sounds like. And, and if he doesn't, I'm sure Dion would be happy to have that roster spot back. So I don't think there's... There's really any any question. I did, it, this is one of the interesting things about Deion Sanders is he is so much more forward, I guess, than a lot of other coaches where he just says these things that most coaches will not say publicly. Uh, another coach who says things that you're kind of surprised to hear a coach say in public is Auburn's Hugh Freeze. He's, he's always been like that. And whether it was Ole Miss or Liberty, he'd say things in press conferences and you say, Wow, I don't think I've ever heard a coach just say that. And this week was no different. On the SEC teleconference, Hugh Freeze was pretty open about how he is struggling 
with the fact that he's given up play calling. And this was a conscious choice by him. It wasn't anything anybody told him he had to do. He got the Auburn job and basically they said, do it the way you want to do it. And he said, well, the, the, the head coach job, the CEO job in the SEC is so much bigger than it was when I was at Ole Miss. I'm going to hire Philip Montgomery to be my offensive coordinator, former Tulsa head coach, former Baylor offensive coordinator. I'm going to have him call the plays. Well, through four games, Hugh Freeze said openly, he's kind of regretting that decision. And, and it's hard for him to not be involved in the play calling. We talked to Justin Hokinson of On Three's Auburn Live about that situation and just what Auburn needs to do to get better as, oh, by the way, the number one team in the country, the Georgia Bulldogs, come to Jordan-Hare Stadium this weekend. Here's Justin. Joined now by Justin Hokinson of Auburn Live. And uh, Justin, it's a it's got to feel like deja vu this week. Hugh Freeze goes on the SEC teleconference and says, you know, I'm struggling with the not calling plays anymore. How many flashbacks to, to Gus Malzahn and will he or won't he or Rhett Lashley or Chip Lindsay? Like, it, how was that this week? Yeah, a lot of flashbacks, a lot of flashbacks. I mean, Gus called plays, then he turned it over to Rhett, then he took him back, then he turned them over to Chip, then he took him back. Um, I say took him back, Chip Lindsay left, and then he was like, oh, I'm going to call plays. This is what I should have been doing all along. Um, so, yeah, a lot of flashbacks. Um, I mean, I think what what the Auburn fans are frustrated about and what we hear on the message board is why now? They're like, why are you why are you using this opportunity now as the guinea pig? Like you you get this job, you've called plays at Ole Miss, you called plays at Liberty, and then you get to Auburn, and Auburn fans are ready to win. And they're like, now you want to run the experiment where you don't call plays? Like, why can we not? Why can't why are we why is this the experiment? program what are we doing like you know i think that's their that's their frustration like you could have done this at any point you get here and now you want to play around with this not calling plays thing and like logically i guess there's there's you kind of make sense like you you're at auburn nil portal there's a lot more going on so trying it's, to it's have the same thing gus said this year because remember gus got the ucf job and said i'm never giving up play calling again and then this year he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm giving it up. Too much, too much other stuff going on. So, well, maybe him and Gus, I mean, him and Gus talk. You and Gus are buddies. Maybe they, maybe they had got together and thought and agreed on the same, the same line of thinking. But, um, yeah, it's just been. And it, the comments from Freeze have been interesting on that because I don't think it's an indictment on Philip Montgomery. Freeze has said that, mm -hmm. and I also believe that. Like, I don't think he's going. The play calling sucks. I think it's an internal thing with Hugh Freeze right now, where he's like, I want to be involved but I don't know how to not be involved, but I don't want to overstep my bounds and confuse people. And it's like, dude, I don't determine. I'll just get involved or don't get involved. I think Auburn fans just want points. You need points to win. Like do, yeah. do what it takes to win the game and, and quit overthinking. it. Well, and that's the thing is Hugh Freeze is, is a very good play caller. And that is why he's where he's at. He did it when he was at Ole Miss. He did it at Liberty. And I, I think, yeah, I, I can see the frustration there because I'm not used to seeing Hugh Freeze offense that doesn't work. You know, I, I can't remember a Hugh Freeze offense that didn't work. And so that's the part I would imagine for Auburn fans is like, okay, we got Hugh Freeze. They're going to be some points. And it's just nothing. Yeah, they're starting to, they're start, starting to see the, uh, you know, is, is, is Jordan Hare above like an old Indian, Indian barrel ground <laughs> type stuff. Like why, you know, because that's on our board. I think a lot of the frustration from Auburn fans is outside of 2017, 
this is now we're going on nine years of just inconsistent, disjointed offense outside of a couple of moments here and there throughout the years. Really, since 15 on, about nine years of just kind of good game, bad game, good game, mm-hmm. fall on your face. And they're just, it's exhausting for Auburn fans. That's why after one game of P Freeze, they're like, dude, like, what is the deal? Can we not produce an effective offense? It, it, it's so funny, though, because, you know, when I talk to, to Florida fans, they're like, can, can anybody get Billy Napier to stop calling plays and, and hire an <laughs> offensive coordinator? It, it, everybody just wants the thing that isn't what they have now if it's not working. Yeah. But the thing that makes it interesting with Freeze is he's very open about this has been a struggle for me. And I'm sure when he is in the middle of the game, he's thinking, I'm not sure I would have called that or I would have done this this way. It's got to be, it's got to be pretty maddening for him. And I think you're right. Like, I I think if you, if you've never met Hugh Freeze, you would read what he said or hear what he said on the SEC teleconference and go, Oh, he doesn't, he doesn't think Philip Montgomery's doing a good job. I don't think that's what it is at all. I think Hugh's just saying, this is how I feel right now. I would like, there there are moments when I would like to be calling the plays again. And I realize I have decided not to. Yep. That's my take on it. I mean, cause he's, he, after the cow game, he, he said that was an ugly game, but he goes, I thought the game plan was, was good. I thought some of the play calling was good. He, after A&M, he said, go watch the film. We had receivers open. You had inopportune turnovers at Cal and you had inopportune penalties at Texas A&M. So, yeah, I don't think it's a, a a worry about Montgomery's play calling. There's so many other things that are going wrong with Auburn's offense. Turnovers, penalties, errant throws. You know, there's just there's so many other issues that you can't really put it on Montgomery. But it is – what the one thing Freeze said that I, the other thing I thought was interesting was he said, uh, I'm transparent. Everybody in the in the building knows how I feel about this. So I'm, I'm curious how those conversations have gone with Philip Montgomery where – I mean, does Freeze just walk into the office and go, man, I'm, I'm struggling, man. I want to be involved. Is, is he that – I guess he's that transparent with Montgomery. That's the only good thing about this is Philip Montgomery at least knows what yeah, he's going on. Like he's, not, he's not blindsided. He, he's like, I get it. He, he wants to be involved. I can imagine at least he's being honest about it. So Philip Montgomery's not reading this in the paper or reading this online going, geez, like is this guy – you know? so I think there's, right. there's at least some openness there. Well, at least they're not playing the best collection of defensive talent in the country. Oh, wait. They are playing the best collection of defensive talent in the country this weekend. Uh, with, with, with Georgia coming in, what can Auburn do to be better? You, you mentioned that there have been guys open. I think Hugh Free said that this week. There, there, there are plays that they could have hit that they just didn't. Peyton Thorne may have missed the throw or you know somebody may have done gone the wrong direction. But what can they do to have a chance against Georgia? Um, well, I mean, start with turnovers and penalties. In, in their two Power Five games, Cal and AM, they're doing one of those. They had four turnovers at Cal. They had ten offensive penalties at AM. Two of those were intentional delay games, so really call it eight. But still, you're, you're, both those games, you're, you're either turnovers or penalties are crushing your drives. They're ending your drives, completely ending them. So number one. Start by playing a clean game. Now that's yeah. tough. You're playing Georgia. I get it, but don't turn the ball over and 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 commit a penalty. Fine, but don't commit a holding penalty when you just had a 15 yard run that got you down to the 25 yard line. Like, play a cleaner game. That's one. I think two is for Peyton Thorne. 
he's got to he's got to figure out the pocket presence thing. He, he's a little rushed. He's getting a little rattled. He's not keeping his eyes downfield. That's got to be figured out. I don't know how that's going to happen. They're working on that this week. But you got to his eyes are they're locking on, and then they're then he's looking to run. Um, and so he he's got to be a little more composed in there. Sidestep pressure. Keep his eyes downfield for receivers that are open, so you can hit them. Those two things alone would go a long way in helping Auburn helping Auburn's offense. They've run the ball effectively at times. I mean, they're I think they're second in the league in rushing. They've got a good a good stable of running backs. They ran the ball. Cal and AM, both both those games they had success running the ball. So there's some success there to be had if you can figure out turnovers and penalties, and you can figure out how to keep Peyton Thorne's eyes downfield. The passing game will open up a little bit. I think those those couple things, the offense will look very different. And I think those three things are somewhat – I mean, you can fix those things. Turnovers, penalties, and just telling Peyton, keep watching downfield. And this thing this thing could look different. It really could. So, Eugene Asante looked pretty good carrying the ball on that one play. Could, yeah. could, can he play off it? No, I – this is a guy who who has just been all everything on defense. How how important is he to that defense? Yeah, he's been pretty big. Um, you know, he's a guy that transferred from North Carolina last year and then really just got lost in the shuffle. He was uh, about 10 pounds lighter, good athlete, four-star kind of player, but uh, came over from North Carolina, got lost in the shuffle in, in 2022. A big part of that is he lost his dad in February of last year. And, and that, I mean, as you can imagine, that took its toll on him. He was a different guy, different player last year, and he struggled. Um, he, he he couldn't get on the field, and I think it was just a mental battle with him. Um, but he stuck it out. He didn't transfer. He decided to stay. He put on 10 pounds, and um, and he's been really good. He's a fantastic athlete, uh, leading the team in tackles. Still some 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 alignment issues at times. Freeze admitted, like, you know, we're still trying to get him lined up correctly every time. But he's that SDC linebacker. Tons of energy, tons of speed physical hits hard i mean he's what you're used to seeing from auburn at linebacker they're just thin they don't have a lot of guys at that position um his health is of the utmost importance he he cannot get injured and they need him in there bad but uh he's been a bright spot he's been a bright spot no doubt well and, and like keldrick falk's an interesting one because top 100 recruit which is something auburn hadn't had in a, in a, in a couple of years and they're obviously not thrusting him in saying you're playing every down they're 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 putting him in selectively but it seems like he's showing up when he gets in the game yeah i would agree with that he um he doesn't start but is when he's in there i think he played probably 23 snaps against a&m but he had you know three tackles and a quarterback pressure um and so yeah he's one of those guys that doesn't he's not playing a lot of snaps yet but when he's in there he, he flashes he's playing a different game you can see why he was ranked where he was and and why Florida State wanted him and Auburn went in there and was like, we got to steal this guy back, um, being from right there around Montgomery. He would be on that Florida State team right now, by the way. So, Ooh, um, man. yeah, so, I mean, he, he looks different. Like a true freshman, he looks, you know, the way that Marlon Davidson did when he come, comes in and looks in, in, in at Auburn, you're like, okay, that dude for a true freshman looks the part. I mean, you see Keldrick, there's, there's times against A&M where he ragdolled the tackle um on the other side so like his potential is high and he was a little banged up at the end of fall camp i think he's getting pretty healthy now and he's a guy that could be if, if he can keep getting better they need him because they're struggling rushing the passer with the front they're basically having to bring a nickel or having to blitz a linebacker 
Jalen McLeod, the transfer from App State, has been banged up trying to get healthy. So between Keldrick Falk or Jalen McLeod, one of those dudes, they got those guys got to keep coming on because they've got some ability that nobody else has. But Keldrick Falk, man, uh, bright, bright future. I'm really, I'm really interested to see him against the best, against Georgia, against Georgia's yeah. offensive line. Like, let's let's see what he can go out there and do as a as a newcomer. How do you handle that if you're Hugh Freeze, not just with Falk, but in, in general in terms of playing time? Because this is essentially a year zero for you. Do yeah. you go young and and just try to get experience for everybody so that going into next year when you feel like the roster's in a better place, you have experienced players? Or do you just keep keep trying the older guys because they have played some and they, they do know – you know, sort of what they're doing. Yeah, I think the quarterback position will be an interesting barometer of that. Um, the next couple games, you know, if if Peyton Thorne continues to struggle, do you say, you know what, who you know who hasn't gotten a chance? Holden Gurner. We're going to toss the redshirt freshman out there. Um, I think that'll be a good barometer. I don't know, man. I mean, the, with the transfer portal, I wonder how much – you know, can you can if you're a head coach, can you continue to have that uh, mindset where you go, you know what, this is a wash. I'm going to play a bunch of young guys because I feel like with the portal now, people aren't giving you any passes. I mean, you have like no passes, even for a first year coach. It's like you go out and get a portal class, Auburn's portal class. Some thought was what, certainly probably one of the top three classes in terms of talent and needs and all that. Um, I, I don't know what what. I don't know how much of a pass you get anymore to go, well, let's play a bunch of young guys this year and get – because you can go in the portal and re, and replenish that where you couldn't before. So, yeah. um, I don't know. I mean, Hugh's so competitive. He wants to win. And I think he knows yeah. at Auburn he, he, he needs to win. And there's good enough players there. They should be in a bowl game. I just – I'm not – I get what Hugh said about the talent gap before an A&M. And, yes, the talent, there is a talent gap between A&M, Georgia, Bama, LSU – but Auburn's still, you know, blue chip wise, Auburn's still in the top fifteen in the country. Right. Auburn, Auburn shouldn't feel like there's a big gap. Like after you get away from Georgia, before no. Alabama, like there shouldn't shouldn't no. be a lot of gaps after that. No. no, they've got a good enough roster to be in a bowl. So I, I don't a, a performance like A and M. You go, or you go out there and lose thirty one ten at home to Georgia. I get it, man. But 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 that I don't think there's that. There's a gap. But I don't think there's that kind of gap. Well, it, it'll be very interesting to see what they do because they are going to play potentially the most talented team in the country this weekend. So yeah. we shall see. But uh, Justin, appreciate it. Anytime, man. Thanks. Justin Hokinson from AuburnLive.com. It's a very interesting situation there at Auburn. And, and you'll wonder if, if you freeze at some point says, you know what? I got to call plays. It's what I do. It's it's hard. It's very difficult. Uh, one coach working on making sure his team is prepared this week, James Franklin at Penn State. Uh, they practiced for a while with no music at Penn State, where they usually do have something going on during practices, because he wanted to simulate what it could be at an 11 a.m. local time kickoff at Northwestern, which could be fairly quiet, especially if Penn State plays as well as they did against Iowa. It might just be the, the Penn State fans who traveled to Chicagoland. By the way, do write donuts if you happen to be in Chicagoland anytime soon. Just give it a shot. They do chicken sandwiches, but they also do incredible donuts. So do write donuts. Give it a shot. 
uh, I brought a dozen with me when I, I did my pardon my take guest spot on, on when I recorded that on Tuesday. Uh, I, I think I made a lot of new friends because those things are awesome. So James Franklin also trying to keep himself amused during a press conference this week, turned it uh, into a discussion of that drink that keeps most of us going. I'm good. I'm ready. Are you, okay. Rich, are you a coffee guy? I'm a big coffee guy. Black or like ice cream sundae? <laughs> Black. I'm an ice cream. A little bit of cream. Yeah, I'm an ice cream sundae guy, but I now I've, I've been doing this fasting. I drink it black. And just like you shake your head about the ice cream sundae, oh, I shake no. my head about the black. I hate the black. It's like punishment. That's what that's what I got right now. It's like love punishment. black coffee. If really? it's good coffee. You always yeah. loved it or you, you've grown to love it? Uh, as I've matured, I've grown to love it. You calling me immature? I know I'm calling myself mature instead of another adjective. Gotcha. Older. Gotcha. Okay. I've never been man enough to drink black coffee. Now, like James Franklin, I do the intermittent fasting. I've been doing it since January of 2020. And for the first couple of years I did it, I followed the rules very strictly, where if I had coffee in the morning, it was black coffee, nothing that might activate my metabolic system. And so I, I did it, but my wife said you are the most miserable human being on earth until 11 a.m. when you start eating. So you have to do something different. You have to change. And at the time I said, well, I, I, if I could just drink the kind of coffee I like, and I'm, I'm with James Franklin here, I want the cream and the, and the sweetener. So I said, okay, I will do that. So I did. Uh, I read up. Now, sources close to James Franklin tell me that uh, there's a belief that the sweetener will activate your metabolism and that you should not be using that. I will say that I read a lot and yes, some of them do what I read said Stevia doesn't, and it might be me just believing what I want to believe, but I added cream and cream and sweetener coffee back instead of drinking it black. And it allowed me to stave off that first meal even longer. And it didn't really change the amount of calories I ate. So I, I drink about a pot of coffee a day. And I got to tell you, if James Franklin were to add the cream and the sweetener, and I go heavy cream, by the way, not half and half, not milk, heavy cream, because that real fat in there does tell your stomach and your, your system that you're full and you don't need to eat anymore. So I don't know if James Franklin switched to that, does Penn State get even better? But James Franklin... I don't know. He kept getting people kept trying to ask about turnovers and that sort of thing. He just wanted to know about coffee. James, how are you? Hey, Mike, black or, or sweetener and cream? Sweetener and cream. I'm good. I'm a black coffee guy. You are. Part. You beat me yeah. to the punch. You just said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal his thunder. Always black coffee? For the most part. I drink coffee enough that I like it, but not so much that I need it. The uh, cold brew with sweet cold foam with the cold foam on top. Is uh is really good. What what is the calories in that? It's only, it's only like eighty calories. Oh, yeah. it, as long as you don't get extra creamer or sugar with it, you don't really need it. Right, but I like I'm doing this fasting, so it's got to be zero calories. It skipped a generation with me. My uh, my mom drank coffee. My daughter drinks coffee. I don't drink coffee at all. Not at all. Never have. Nope. Impressive. Do you drink tea? 
Uh, if I'm not feeling well, maybe. But no, I'm not like Red a Bull? Hot, I'm not like a hot beverage person. Red Bull? No, no comment on what I drink. Yeah, no, no comment on... Uh... Like you, cream and sugar, all the nonsense. All, it's the only way to drink it. Does this stat make sense, or maybe Mike. you can explain it? There's a, there's a theme going on here. Times of the day that Coffee make you Coffee first thing in the morning. Usually Wednesday nights I have tea. I had to practice. It's a late night for me. No coffee, no tea, but I'm a big caffeine guy. So you could write this down, Celsius energy drink. It's uh, got a lot of good stuff in it, not a lot of calories. I would recommend that. I didn't write it down because I'm all over it. Okay. <laughs> I'm taking notes here on, on the Celsius there. Uh, my former coworker, Audrey Snyder at The Athletic, I, I like that she goes the coffee to the tea. And then later in that press conference, uh, James Franklin was introduced to the concept of peppermint tea, which I will say, as another person who does the intermittent fasting, peppermint tea is a tremendous morning drink when you're trying to stave off that first meal. Uh, it's delicious and just curbs the appetite, just so. So that is your intermittent fasting update with Andy Staples, with an assist from James Franklin. I got to say, that's probably more interesting than him answering questions about going to Ryan Field this week. But we'll see. Who knows? Northwestern, very plucky, beating Minnesota last week. Can they shock the world and beat Penn State? Probably not, but we know that James Franklin will be adequately caffeinated when they play. The question is, will he have broken his fast? We'll find out. Guys, it's game week. Let's go. We'll talk to you again on Saturday. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.